Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science. Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and, and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. And this is the show where what, people? That's right, Science Rules. Science rules the universe, so it rules the show. And I remind us, well, you or everybody, it's a call-in show. The most interesting part of the show is you, your questions, your ideas, what you have to say about today's topic. So please go to AskBillNye.com and type on it. So everybody, look around where you're sitting or standing or driving. Everything you can see came out of somebody's head. Everything in your world was put there by people. And in general, those people were able to do science and embraced the scientific method. We want everybody to embrace this idea that nature is knowable, that we can understand the cosmos and our place within it, and we can understand the materials, forces, and energy of the cosmos in such a way that we can make a high quality of life for everybody on this planet. It doesn't mean we want everybody to be a scientist. We certainly don't want everybody to be an engineer. The fashion choices alone would be very troubling for the world. So that's why science rules, people. And that's why I'm always excited about doing every single show, perhaps this one especially, because we are communicating about communicating science. What could be more fun than that? I'm joined by science writer and editor Corey S. Powell, who's also, by the way, my friend. Oh, hey, Bill. And he's helped me so much with my science communication, with my book, Undeniable, Unstoppable, Everything All at Once. And Corey and I have someone with us today who is one of my very favorite science communicators. She is, in a word, extraordinary. Marvelous. Two words. Surely there's a portmanteau that we can uh, link uh, those two words together. I mean, like a farvel? A fabulous, marvelous? Yes, exactly. I digress, but that's when the flight, the uh, Blue Angel flight demonstration team recruiting tool using your tax dollars flies over Air Show Center with two planes inverted and two planes right side up. And at Air Show Center, Captain Corey, pa Corey S. Powell commands the Farvel. 
and they they uh, change. So what I'm saying is basically we have a Farvel in the studio. We right have now. a Farvel, ladies we, we and gentlemen. A, we have a human Farvel. We have a human Farvel. <laughs> we have a an award winning uh, science correspondent. She does a comedic science podcast, which is just nothing but fun and nothing but informative. We call ologies, and she's just. Uh, a science enthusiast who is hoping to make the world a better place. Ladies and gentlemen, Allie Ward. You guys, I'm going to have to change my bio and everything to say Farvel now. It's a cool word. But Allie. Yes. I'm so, I'm just delighted that you're here and thanks for taking the time. Let me ask you, let me start with this. Mm -hmm. What is your mission? My mission is to elevate scientists to be like rock stars. That's kind of my mission. Like, I I just feel like we know so much about so few people. Like, I, I, on any given day, we know, like, what color nail polish a certain Instagram influencer has on. But we don't know about someone, like, in line next to us at Trader Joe's that might be, like, you know, researching wood frogs that have antifreeze blood. You know, there's just so—scientists have such a wealth of knowledge that my, my goal— is kind of to put them on a pedestal and to make people fall in love with them. That's like my low-key goal. On pedestals. On several pedestals. <laughs> on as many pedestals as I could drag it and line up. So your goal, if I understand it, is to use your media mm-hmm. to promote scientists, which would in turn promote science, yes. which would in turn make the world a better place. Make the world better. Well, I mean, the thing about science for me is like, there's this really big rift, I feel like, where people think that science stops when you graduate from school. You learn science for a layperson. You learn science in school, and then you you leave, and you don't really think about it again until you have kids, and then you have to teach the kids about science till they get out of school. And the thing that fascinates me about science is it's everywhere. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. There's science in this table. There's science in these microphones. There's science everywhere. So I think letting people get more familiar with the science in their adult lives will change the way that they they live their life and give context for everything. So there's a big fear, you know, uh, that is that goes back to I think to the beginning of people. Yeah. Uh what nowadays we describe writ large as technology. Yes. So when there's a scientific breakthrough that enables a new thing to be made, mm-hmm. be that either uh electronic microphone and podcasts, yeah, <laughs> mobile phones or uh, vaccines. Sure. People have a fear of this stuff. Right. Right. Magic. Now, technology generally makes your life better. Oh, sure. As do vaccines and medicine. I think it's great. I think I think that's the thing is just closing that rift with people and letting people know that just there's there's not a science person and a not science people. We're all science people. If we, if you've ever ridden in a car or seen a doctor or eaten something that's cooked, you're a science person. And I think closing closing that rift of like, in order to be interested in science, you already have to know the science is a is like the biggest problem that we have with it because it's just science is curiosity and just asking questions is is the only key ingredient you need to be interested in science is just curiosity. And one of the biggest things that I try to promote with what I do is just 
ask smart people stupid questions because so much you're so afraid what's to a, ask. What's one of your favorite stupid questions? Oh, my God. Bill, I ask the dumbest stuff. It's the best <laughs> for my job. I ask, Can you think of one? Oh, God. I ask what people's favorite movie about their subject is, and then you'll see, like, a volcanologist just light up and start talking about Inferno versus Dante's Peak and, uh, like, yeah. what they liked about it, what they hated about it, and, and just things like— I, I'll never forget, I had a selenologist who's a moon expert on this. The Selene is the moon, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's amazing. She is, her story is fantastic. She's so smart. And um, she knows everything about the moon. You can ask her anything. And then she submitted a question for a testudinologist, which is a turtle expert. And her question was, can turtles get out of their shells? She was, she's like, I don't know. I don't study turtles. And the turtle expert was like, that's one of the biggest questions I get. And a turtle shell is like fused to their, it's like their vertebrae. The spine is yeah. part of the shell, yeah. But she's like, I get, yeah, I get that question mm-hmm. all the time. So along this line. Yeah. Wait, Bill, this is a calling show, isn't this? You've crystallized my thoughts once again. <laughs> Greetings. State your name and where you're calling from. It's of great interest to us here at Science Rules. Oh, hi there, guys. Thanks, thanks very much for you to, to have me on your show. So I'm Dan, Dan Alexandru, and I'm calling from Romania. Ooh. Oh, cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. So do you have a question for us or Allie? I do, and it's, uh, I believe it's for the whole, whole, whole bunch of you. And it's just a little while ago, there was a study released about how the population of insects worldwide is declining probably about 2.5%. So there's a lot of causes for that. So my question is, how urgent is the matter of improving our current agricultural and food production systems in order to somehow slow down or even stop altogether a potential, you know, mass extinction of um, insects worldwide. Insect populations, Ellie. Yes. Go for it. Well, you know, it's funny. I think people started caring about insect populations when bees were threatened. And again, I think there's something emotional about bees. We all, we all like honey. A lot of us are familiar with them. So I think a lot of times... Insects, people don't care about insects unless it's about getting a spider out of their bathtub. But um. Well, the other thing, you know, the, um, the, the story, let me tell you about the birds and the um, orthoptera blattides. Yeah. No, that doesn't go. The cockroaches, that's yeah. the birds and the bees. Because everybody appreciates, I believe, the importance of bees, especially the European honeybee. Exactly. And for our species. agriculture, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did an episode recently with um, someone who studies... Uh, entomophagy, which is eating insects and cultivating insects as a source of protein, and how how much more uh, sustainable that is than, say, beef or even poultry, or, or in some cases, like soy production. So, um, you know, I think it's interesting when you're when we're looking at insects as a food source that we may be able to save native insect populations by going to cultivate insects as a protein source over maybe protein animals and, and livestock that take a lot more land. So, so that, there's, that's clearly cultural. By that, I mean uh, mm-hmm. you eat – many people eat crabs and they relish lobster. But then what's the difference between a lobster and a big cricket? <laughs> uh, biologically, not a whole heck of a lot perhaps. Yeah. Butter. But the difference. thing is the insects will <laughs> – the, they have the bib. Yeah. They got venom. They're, you know, they, uh, the bees, the honey's great, but the stinging, they protect it, trouble – Dan, you're asking a fabulous question. It wasn't until very recently people even noticed that flying insects seem to be disappearing, and no one's exactly sure why. 
But the uh, hypothesis, the best hypothesis with respect to honeybees, apparently, is inbreeding. Uh, we've gotten so carried away uh, using honeybees or Hymenoptera apidae, the honeybee, uh, to pollinate our crops that if they get any sort of virus or they get this this miserable trachea mite parasite, then all kinds of trouble breaks loose. But is that happening to many, many other species worldwide? But here's, okay, how about this? Whatever it is, I think we all can agree the hypothesis that's going to turn out to come to a theory that's going to turn out to be provide predictable outcomes has got something to do with us. With humans. Well, well here, Dan, I, Dan, I want to ask, uh, is this something that you personally have noticed? You know, I, I find anecdotally when I talk to people, a lot of people, when they stop and think about it, think, oh, yeah, there used to be a lot of fireflies around, and I don't yeah. see them recently. Is this something that you have observed yourself? Well, I will admit that, I mean, I'm pretty young, so I didn't have another, a lot of time to experience it. But to be honest, whenever you drive, whenever I drive near a forest, there's a lot more bugs on your windscreen as opposed to when you drive by a a large open agricultural field, corn, wheat, whatever. So, you know, and reading from this article and from the interview in The Guardian with one of the co-authors of the study, it says that it, it's most likely the, you know, the practices of using pesticides and other kind of, of chemicals to keep them away when we shouldn't really and use the more organic way of producing, producing our food. Well, keep in so, mind, this is something yeah. I like to point out all the time, Dan, for you to consider, Allie, Corey. Yeah. Farming is not natural. Yeah. If you stop farming, it goes back to some other thing. So how do you feed? When I was a kid, there were fewer than 3 billion people in the world. Now there's seven and a half. There will be nine and 10 billion people in the world. We have to figure out how to feed all those people uh, and, not, and not screw up the environment at the point where we can't. And you, Dan, you are... Working your way to a working our way to a very important problem. We need to pollinate crops somehow. Can we raise yep. enough food to feed everybody without uh, invasive insecticides and herbicides? This is a question for our listeners who want to become professional agriculture, uh, professional farmers, uh, chemical engineers, bio uh, mm -hmm, geneticists. Geneticists. That's a word. Can we solve these problems uh, in, in order to feed everybody? And I guarantee you, whatever solution we come up to with this flying insect problem is not going to be magic. It's going to be, dare I say it, Corey, <clears throat> Allie. Uh, science. Yes. <laughs> yes, but Dan, do, you're raising a great question. Now. I do think, though, with, with agriculture, you, you think you just wipe out all the native plants. And so, you know, that population of butterflies doesn't have a place to go rear its its caterpillars and eat up all, all the milkweed. So um, pollinator gardens are great, and uh, repopulating your yard with native plants is great, of course. Can we talk just briefly about monarch butterflies? Because I spent some time. <gasps> you did. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and this is an example, Dan, of the kind of thing you're talking about. So people use glyphosate, yep. the brand everybody has a love-hate relationship with is yep. Roundup. Roundup, yeah. Roundup. It's an herbicide. It, it's an herbicide, and it turns out to be the greatest thing for raising soybean and corn where you've put the the right gene in the corn or the soybeans to enable it to withstand the glyphosate. But the thing that it kills accidentally is milkweed. And if you're a monarch butterfly, you know, here in North America, Dan, we got millions of these butterflies that fly from the country of Mexico 
all the way to the country of Canada. And it's often not the same animal that makes the trip. It's their offspring that keep migrating, flying north, flying south on these things in, in uh, English we call flyways, uh, where the wind blows in favorable directions uh, regularly. Anyway, discovered that killing the milkweed is bad. The monarch butterflies are going away. So I went to a, uh, a meeting called the Monarch Venture, where they had the hippies counting the monarch butterflies, the citizen science people, and they had the corporate pigs. <laughs> <laughs> the Monsantos and the Pioneers and the DuPonts. Pig, pigs are animals, too. <laughs> and they agreed, everybody agreed this is a problem. And so what they're working on here in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico are having what they call refuges. What did you call them? Pollinator gardens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they are trying to work out a checkerboard, a chessboard, a patchwork of uh, – refuges of milkweed where they're not going to use the glyphosate, very successful farming herbicide, to enable the butterflies to make the trip and pollinate on their way and party in the butterfly sense. And so this is an example for me that really, to me, is the essence of the show, of the Science Rules podcast. And that is, I believe, Dan, we have to accept as humans that there's so freaking many of us now. So many. So many. We are running the show. We are in charge of the planet, whether we want to be or not. And so we have to take these problems like, Dan, the one you're bringing up, extinction, seems to be mass extinction of flying insects. We have to take that problem on and solve it. We can't just wring our hands and run in circles screaming, and we can't, uh, we can't ignore it. We can't say, well, if we just if we just stop eating, everything will be fine. It's not going to work out. Yeah, and part of part of what I love about Dan's question is I think you know, people have gotten used to the idea that of you know, biodiversity and conservation that that oh you know we worry about polar bears or or we worry about wolves uh, or even yeah you know, that we worry about monarch butterflies and bees like specific species. But you know we do conservation management. We're managing entire ecosystems, and you know insects are kind of there in the background. People have not paid a lot of attention to it. And I'm really glad the story is getting some attention right now because we actually have very little hard data. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to know what you were personally experiencing because there isn't a whole lot of good global statistics. We need that. We ne- we need to figure out how to manage. You know, not just the the big, pretty, fun-looking things, but you know, all these insects that are so important to the global ecosystem. But yeah, I think if anyone wants to do science karaoke. As it is, <laughs> you know, like there are there's so many entomologists that need oh, this is data a, this collection. This is a great citizen science project. Yeah, there's so many. There's the sunflower project that uh, that counts bees and pollinators. Uh, there's so so many. So if you look up citizen science in your in your area, you can help scientists count and see what's happening with the insect populations if it's declining. And um, so yeah, so you can be you can kind of be a science hero and help out these ologists out there. Science hero, Dan. Do it. Thanks for calling from Romania. Thank you. Got it. Thank you, guys. But I, I love the idea of, of getting getting people involved and getting people engaged in solving these problems because these are global issues and everybody needs to be invested in it. And everybody invest- eats food for everybody eats loud. food. Everybody you know lives you know lives in an ecosystem. We forget cities are ecosystems. You know your apartment building is an ecosystem. You know it, you're never ever walled off from the world. And let's see, we have another caller here. Greetings. Who's on the line? Hi, uh, my name is Randy Hughes King. I am calling from um, Maine, 
United States, Ooh. and I'm just glad to be able to talk to this marvelous trio. Yeah. Uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> I, the, the, word, the word is catching on. No, you guys, it is a cool <laughs> word. And as a, you know, I became a mechanical engineer because I thought bicycles and airplanes are the coolest thing. <laughs> and when you watch the Blue Angels flight demonstration team come through Air Show Center and turn right side up, upside down, it's just cool. Take it, Randy. <laughs> uh, yes, I am a avid video gamer in my free time, and I have a powerful computer. I was wondering, what is the best way to offset my hobby environmentally? You're talking about electricity use? Or are you talking about mining yeah. uh, selenium, uh, gallium, and germanium to make uh, silicon? <laughs> There's no shortage of silicon. Absolutely. You know, the whole, sand is everywhere. The whole range yeah. of my environmental impact. Well, I, uh, I just talking some more about me. I have uh, solar cells on my house. And in the summer, solar panels. And in the summertime, well, actually, from about this time of year in the spring all the way to, to almost the holidays, I make more the, way more electricity than I use. So if you're into that, get some solar panels. Or so, if you want to do this, see if your power company has uh, – I don't know my way around Maine that well. See if your power company has the ability to buy green electricity where they uh, claim – or point out or have an infrastructure in their bureaucracy such that they buy electricity from renewable sources, wind and solar mostly. Some In Maine, I bet there's some tidal energy and uh, some geothermal. Yeah, Randy, do you know if you can do that locally or or, or if there are like electronics recycling centers uh, near you? Have you looked into those kinds of things? There's definitely recycling centers. And I know that Maine also has a lot of wind energy because um, we have right. the, the Katahdin mountain range. Um, at the north end of the Appalachians. So that, that would that's look into buying green electricity. You know, did I mention electricity? Uh, I just if we had if everybody in the world had renewable electricity, man, we would have it going on. And so, Randy, just get some renewable electricity. What's your favorite game? Not that it's any of our business. Yeah, it is. You called us. It's our business. Uh, I, I I I actually really enjoy the Anno City Building series. Ooh. See, there's four. He builds cities rather builds than cities. just stealing cars. Does your do your cities have solar power? Because you gotta start small, man. Well, the most recent video games were all set in the future, 2070, where where you end up building on the moon and you have solar panels and you use hydroelectric dams. Everything's renewable almost. Wait, you have hydroelectric dams on the moon? There's some. Well, what, no, there's those some... are on Earth. Okay. The video <laughs> game is, is Earth and Moon building. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. But that I was, was a hilarious that would be, comedy. I think that would be a very, a very cool possibility. Very cool. cool. See, because cool. it's frozen on the Moon. See what he did there? It's brilliant. Um, do you think that he could just live with you, Bill? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Try, so thanks for the input. Oh, yeah. Okay. Plus, I don't have enough enough solar power uh, in my house to go all year in the winter months because the sun gets too low in the sky. And my neighbor and I get along very well, uh -huh. uh, but it's her uh, second story that blocks my solar panels. Mm. And they travel a lot. So yeah, I've yeah. often thought, you know, when she's out of town, when they're out of town, I just cut the second uh, story off that <clears throat> off the house. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, as an old, uh, well, not only old, but a longtime radio professional, mm -hmm. the sound effects really bring a lot to it, I think. Got to get those drops. Uh, easier to ask forgiveness than permission. 100%. Like what? Yeah, tell her she can, uh, she can tap some of your juice. 
So you need some electricity? Plug in, lady. So, actually, that's happened. Uh, but <laughs> everybody, consider my solar panels are, they were made actually, they're made in uh, New England uh, by the Evergreen Solar Company with this process called thin film. And it was successful enough, but they couldn't compete uh, internationally. The, the company couldn't stay in business. And those panels still work fine. They're 11 years old. Let's see, they're 12 years old. And uh, they're about 15% efficient. What if they were spacecraft efficient, 30%? Mm -hmm. What if they were 50% or 60 or 70% efficient? It would, dare I say it, change the world. So if you're out there and you're a material scientist, you have an interest in chemistry, you have an interest in mining, you have an interest in, even if you have an interest in explosives, I'm not kidding, <laughs> it's very reasonable that we could lower the cost of solar panels in this one example and lower and greatly increase the efficiency and we would do more with less and in just a couple decades people would look back at Bill's 15% solar panels <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't believe me consider an old light bulb I'm of a certain age alley where the easy bake oven ran off a light bulb. Oh, I remember these Yeah. Days. So now an easy-bake oven runs off traditional nickel-chromium, nickel, nichrome wires like a toaster. But the light bulb was so inefficient, you could literally bake a cake with it. <laughs> now, with light-emitting diodes, LEDs, that are 15 times as efficient. Hey, do you want a dollar or do you want $15? And I'll go with the 15. Do you want to pay $15 or a dollar? No, I'll go with the dollar. Just think what the future could be. Through magic, no, no, through science. Right. Uh, Randy, right. thanks right. for the call. And, Thank you. And and everywhere you live, you know, there there are different solutions available to you. Uh, you know, I I live in Brooklyn, where putting solar cells on the on the rooftop isn't an option because I I have a building that's shared with other tenants. Plus, you don't and, have enough. You're all vertical. Out and, there. Right, we don't have enough area, but. Uh, in New York City, there's an option of where you buy your electricity. There are a number of different electricity providers, including you know all all green carbon free providers. And so essentially, you know, if enough people vote for that, if they're willing to pay a little bit more, or they, or they just you know, make a, a purchasing choice, really, you know, you start to change the whole electricity production system. The people are voting with their dollars that they want clean energy, and these things multiply. You know, you know, I I, I need a minute, okay? I'm setting the timer. The world's got a lot of problems. It's got seven and a half, almost eight billion people living on it. And we've got to provide a high quality of life for all those people. How are we going to do this? Three things, in my opinion. My opinion, as you know, in this regard is pretty good. So here are the three things. We want clean water for everyone. When you have clean water, your population, your village, your tribe, your country is healthier. When you have clean water, you can have agriculture, which means what? You can have food. That's right. And so then what we also want is energy for everybody. When we're talking about energy these days, everyone, we're talking about electricity. And we want it to be renewably produced. We want it to be reliable and produced renewably without burning fossil fuels and putting more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And the third thing we want, we want education for everyone on Earth. How do we do that? Electronic information, global access to the Internet, clean water, renewably produced, reliable electricity, and access to the internet. With those three things, everyone, we could, dare I say it, change the world. <sighs> Thank you. I, I needed a minute. Stay tuned for more Science Rules after this.
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. So, uh, can we go back to the phones? Absolutely. We have the a... phones which come from the internet, <laughs> which come from electricity. Well, I digress. Take it, Corey. Which we hope is produced uh, renewably. And, Someday. Uh, we have Leah. It says here that you're a high school science teacher. Hi. Yes. Um, I teach uh, science at McHenry East High School in McHenry, Illinois. Oh. Um, McHenry East. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speculating on the school song. Thank you, Leah. <laughs> I was about to be really yeah. impressed that you knew their school song. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um yeah, I have some really enthusiastic students here with me, actually. They were really excited when I found out that I was going to get to call in. Um, and so, yeah, they're really excited. Um, so um, my question is, as a high school science teacher, Bill, what's the best way to get kids excited about science and create scientifically literate young citizens in this world today? Well, I will answer a question with a question, albeit a rhetorical question. Sure. Leah, what was your favorite what did you like about your favorite teacher, your favorite professor? It was his or her passion. Right. He or she was into it, right? He or she thought that what he or she was teaching was the greatest, coolest, most intriguing thing ever, no matter what it was. Foreign policy, uh, uh, cooking, history, geography, algebra, whatever that teacher was into, you were into. So, Leah, listening to you and your tone, I strongly suspect you are an enthusiastic person yourself. <laughs> and if and I tell everybody, if you want to become a teacher, an educator, you better be a performer, for crying out loud, at some level. You better think being on stage is kind of cool or just don't bother doing it. So, Leah, are you, you are passionate, yes? I'd like to think so, yeah. <laughs> What are you excited about with respect uh, in, let's say, writ large, science? Yeah, so I teach um, a biomedical science program at our school. And just the whole medical aspect of science is really just how the human body works. And I remember as a little kid, like, poking around in my stomach and being like, what's inside (laughs) there? Uh, Just being so curious about it and then being able to help my students find out these really amazing things that the human body can do um, and get them excited for their future aspirations in science. So it's been right on. So, you know, everyone, people of all ages are fascinated with their bodies. People, uh, every little kid is fascinated with poo. Every grown up eventually 
also become so, apparently. If you watch uh, <laughs> MTV, it's all this skin uh, medicines. If you watch cable news, it's all these extraordinary diseases with multisyllabic names. Everybody is fascinated with with their bodies. And when you're stuck in the airport, people eventually start talking about their broken ankles and their headaches and do you have any aspirin. And so if you're teaching biomedical science, that is cool. That's cool. Be passionate. Yeah. <laughs> my I, my advice to you also to get people interested in science in general is make them pick their favorite thing on earth and write about all the aspects of science that made it exist. So if their favorite thing is, you know, let's say gelato or if their favorite thing That's pretty good. is pretty good or a certain or a, a Ferrari or whatever, make them think about it in a scientific aspect. If their favorite thing is coffee, maybe they could have them break down, okay, there's the beans, there's the there's the agriculture, there's the pollinator, there's the roasting, there's liquid is a state of matter. So just have them look at all the science in their favorite thing. Or maybe for you, since you're biomedical, maybe they could pick a favorite body part and just deep dive rabbit hole about that particular thing, whether it's a tube in your ear. Duodenum? A duodenum, for example. Get up in the guts and just write about how small intestine, for example, and just like really laser focus and let them go down a rabbit hole so that they can really kind of see all of the different things that they can learn about that particular thing. But if they start with a passion about something they really like and then you let them investigate from there, then they might realize that there's there's that level of science in literally everything, which is freaking cool. Right. So, you know, I have two young daughters and, and the, you know, the exciting thing that always happens with, with young kids is that everything is new and mysterious. And so they're looking at their hands like, how do my bones move? How, how do how, they how, move? How does my hand know to move when I think it's going to move? That's <laughs> and crazy. Then, and then you get older, and those questions either seem silly or they sort of recede into the background. Yeah. Uh, and you know, people people lose that when they always talk about, oh, the wonder of kids. You know, the, the kids have, but we all have access to that. And you know, losing that is just it, it's throwing away one of the most precious things. Yeah, redirect your curiosity. I think we're we're fed so much like you gotta know who Katie Holmes is dating right now, and you gotta hear. Who? I don't know. She, she was in Dawson's. Who's movie. Katie Holmes? She she dated. <laughs> oh, bless you, Bill. <laughs> I know she dated Tom Cruise for a while, but we know everything they about. They were married. They were married. He Kids. jumped on a couch. Okay, but I'm just he saying. He jumped like, on the couch. Even I. <laughs> Cultural illiterate man know that. We know we have this infinite capacity, this infinite curiosity, and it's kind of just directed toward the same five percent of, you know, clickbaity articles. So just direct that curiosity Leah, be toward passionate. anything. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Leah. Thanks so much. And it's to say, and they're, and they're also the flip side, and part of what you fight back against with with ologies is that then people start to think, oh, you know, science means you know memorize the Krebs cycle, and yeah. you know, and let, you know, learn all these sort of obscure things with unfamiliar terms, and it it distances us from these ideas and from the immediacy of of the investigative process. Uh, you know, being able to hold. Okay, you, Corey, Corey, Corey. No, how much? Do, how much do I love you? Uh, I don't know. I'm about to find out. More than life itself. This is a test. But if you say get people invested in the immediacy of the investigative process, for crying out loud, get them excited about science. I'm not not sure what the end of that (laughs) sentence is. Tell you, people stories. That yeah, is, right. Because, tell people stories. Right, I mean, Krebs, these are the multisyllabic the words. The Krebs dude. cycle is exciting. When is you, freaking, when, who the when, heck, when, how did Krebs figure out the Krebs you, cycle? When you figure out what it is and why it matters, it's awesome. It is awesome. But when awesome. you learn it as memorizing, you know, the specific terms and, and obscure diagrams, it's sometimes hard to get across that barrier. Uh, yes. 
But speaking of barriers, let's move on. Yes. Uh, overcoming this one. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we have Anthony on the line. And uh, uh, let's see, he's a, he's a dad, so I automatically feel some, some empathy here. Uh, Anthony, tell me about where you're calling and uh, what is on your mind. Hey there. Uh, Deb Cycle? I'm not familiar with that one. <laughs> it's a biology uh, thing. Which is fine. Which is, just lousy <laughs> which with is just fine. <laughs> it's a noun festival. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Anthony Walker. I'm calling from California. Hey. So, um, continental U.S. And, uh, yeah, I, I am very concerned about the effects of climate change on our ecosystem, um, you know, especially after uh, most recent climate reports and, you know, given the severity of the situation, I'm, you know, really discouraged by the inaction at the federal level and kind of don't understand why everybody's not having a total recap. But, um, so, so this year as a way to be proactive, I took matters into my own hands and took the step of having solar panels installed on the roof. Um, we're adding home battery storage nice. as well. That's, uh, to come. Uh, and we switched both of our cars over to EVs to kind of close that loop and, you know, limit the amount of fossil fuels that we're using and emissions and all that. Um, but so my, my question regarding that was, you know, what are steps that individuals can take that have the biggest impact on emissions? Um, you know, other than those that I just mentioned, I'm kind of looking for stretch goals for myself. Uh, and additionally, what are some important steps that people who don't own their homes can also take? Here's what it is. What is it? Vote. And yep. so, Anthony, I'm sure you're voting. I got a feeling about you. But get your <laughs> friends to vote. No, I'm not joking. This is a, we are living at an extraordinary time. You know, the United States, say what you will, everybody, the United States is the world's third most populous country. China, India, and it soon will be India, China, U.S. U.S. is a third of a billion people. And culturally, U.S. influences the entire world. Everywhere you go, people know who Mickey Mouse is. Or they have some rudimentary knowledge of English, American English. And so what we do in the United States is critical to what goes on all over the world. So I'm not joking you. Voting is the main thing. And for listeners who are not in California, so what California does often reflects the future. So what uh, Anthony is up to, uh, trying to electrify his uh, home and transportation, he's part of the future. So what we want to do uh, is, by the way, in the big picture, is electrify all ground transportation, solve the problem, if I can use that expression, of air transportation, uh, making it uh, where it doesn't require fossil fuels or non-renewable fuels, and then uh, we want everybody in the whole world to have clean water and access to the Internet. So let's get her done. And we do that, Anthony, by voting. And so this is a thing where people think the problem is intractable because it's so big. We're talking about climate change. Mm -hmm. It's so big. But I remind us, I cannot help but think about who, Corey, whom? That's right. My mother and father. Oh, yes. Your mother and father. I, were, I, I, I often think about that. Yes. Well, uh, if you do, <laughs> uh, lucky you. Uh, <laughs> but you guys, they were both in World War II. And this is a global problem. This is where uh, people thought the world was going to end. When Pearl Harbor was bombed on December 7th, 1941, people thought, that's it. The world is over. Our life is going to end. They did all these extraordinary things. Uh, and they, in five years, solved a global problem. So let's get this done. New York City used to have so much horse manure that it was up to your knees in some parts of the Wall Street area, if you look at these old pictures. 
And so the horseless carriage was invented. People thought that'll never work, but it took over the world. So let's let's just go into this problem like we're going to solve it. We're going to do it. Can I float an idea? Can I float a crazy idea? Oh, that's a Is it an idea so crazy? It just might work. If it doesn't fail, it might just work. (laughs) It might change the world. Anthony, dude, what if you ran for something? What if you ran for a thing? Can you imagine? Your daughters would be like, oh, yeah, (laughs) my dad, he changed some stuff. Like, is there anyone who is more prepared? Like, why don't you jump in the race, dude? Do you know what kind of jabronis are running? You got this. (laughs) Get up in there. I'd vote. Where are you in California? Where? Um, I'm actually in Brisbane, California, just just south of San Francisco. Oh, okay. I'm a I'm a California native. I live there. Um, yeah. Run for a thing. Vote. Talk about voting. Just get in get in the race, or else it's going to be Jabroni 2020. Right. I mean, that's another form of citizen science. Is is, <laughs> is citizens getting involved in yeah. the process? Get in there. Just saying. Just challenging you. Yeah. Not a big deal. I've, I've I've considered it. That may be in the long term. Uh, stretch goals. <laughs> okay, well, you're, you're gonna you're gonna be on a very prominent podcast, which would be a great launching yeah. uh, launch pad for your campaign. <laughs> Anthony, so, Anthony, Anthony, so Anthony, Anthony, thank thank you so much for calling in, and uh, good luck with that. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I hope he really does run. Yeah, me too. So we we need more people like that. You, you know, know what, what I'm feeling right now? Uh, I wait, 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 wait. That's the sound of something. That's the sound of thunder. So what you're saying is it's time for the lightning round. (gasps) I believe it is the lightning round. So, So, Allie, Ward, are you ready for the lightning round? You're You're feeling it. You're not on the hot seat, or maybe it's the electric seat. Uh, I'm not ready, but I'm willing to do it. I will never be ready for this excitement. I'm scared. I'm terrified. My hands are clammy. Let's do it. Not ready is the new ready. Okay, (laughs) good. Then I'm on target. In your view, yeah. what is the ology mm. least known? What is the most unsung ology? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I think one ology that is unsung that I enjoy is ferroequinology. Oh, yes, ferroequinology. Study Corey. of trains comes from iron and horse. That's one. Wow. I know. I also think fearology is an, is an ology that everyone should look at because if you think about all of your choices that are bad, a lot of them are fear and anxiety driven. So fearology, if you have any problems in your life, typically that will help. And if you're afraid of trains, it just... <laughs> you get away from those tracks, man. Fearoechonology. So uh, just trains are fabulous. They run on a schedule. They run on low friction rails and uh, they do not have to accelerate to freeway speeds before they're used. That's why trains are so fabulously efficient and we should embrace them. Now, uh, you know our buddy Ernst Ruth. Rutherford, sure. Who remarked, all science is either physics or stamp collecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is all science physics? Uh, there's physics in all science. I would not say all science is physics. There you go. Is there an ology more people should know about? Is there, ooh, an ology more people should know about? I think um, eschatology is a great one. It's the study of the apocalypse. I think if you're finding <laughs> low... Oh, that's, a, that's actually a favorite ology of mine. Yeah, so, is uh, it, he is. It, he it, is, it, it is. Uh, I've an, been, um, an apocalypse buff. Yes. Yeah, there uh, you go. Yeah, I, I, if I had a bumper sticker, it would probably be... Be a, I I love eschatology. Ask me why. I, I think um, I think that who doesn't like the end of the world to oh, just kooky for it, you know. But I would say that buffology is something I'm excited to study. That what? is the study of toads. Ah, study of toads. Buffo. Yeah. Buffo. Yeah. Oh, cool. Study of toads. I really want to talk toads. Uh, sure you do. Uh, what is the most ordinary thing? Uh, the most 
unsurprising thing, in your view, of uh, science writ large? The most unsurprising thing? Day at the office thing. Oh, the most unsurprising thing about science. I think uh, that that everything kills other things. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a fish of any size, pretty much what you do is eat fish. That's Uh, your thing. Pretty much, but yeah. If you eat carrots. Yeah. You eat carrots. But I think um, I think that our molecules uh, will just disintegrate into something else I think is exciting. I look forward to being something else. So I, I know that that seems dark, but... A little um, bit. Yeah, but, it, it, you know, another thing about it is, is, yeah, that I was something else before this, that my molecules your, were Your protons chicken. and your neutrons are 13.8 billion years old. That, to me, is pretty, pretty so wild. So every day, everybody, every day, I am a little freaked. What is the term? Existential... Um, angst. You've got yeah. angst. Uh, about the idea that you and I are made of the dust of exploded stars. So therefore, dot, 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 therefore, yeah. you and I are at least one of the ways that the universe, the cosmos, mm-hmm. knows itself. You know what that's called? What is it called? Cosmic vertigo. Cosmic vertigo. Yeah, when you're freaked out by the universe. So I think that that's kind of nice. Whenever you feel like just a turd of a person and you're having a bad day and maybe you said something stupid at a meeting and you didn't get a text back from someone that you want to bone, you just have to say, dang it, these molecules, these protons, these have been around. Yeah, this this turd is an ancient turd. (laughs) Yeah, I was maybe a pigeon. Who knows? So what? Just keep living. Be Uh, nice. So what do you believe in that you cannot prove? What do I believe in? Um, you know, I like to think that uh, that dark matter and dark energy has a lot of the a lot of the solutions to things we don't understand yet. So whenever there's something we don't understand yet, I just like to pretend that we're going to figure out what dark matter and dark energy really is, and it's going to be like, oh. If you could change one thing mm-hmm. about the whole world, what would it be? Uh, everyone would stop being so afraid of each other and the future and start sharing their resources more and be nicer to people instead of uh, resource guarding and being dicks. Is that too much? <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> a lot, it's less a, it's tribalism and more uh, we're all get alongism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think I think fear is a is a terrible terrible thing. So I so think end of fear. Can we sort of globally call that end end of fear? Beginning of collaboration. Yeah, sort of like uh, tell your amygdala to just calm down a bit there. You know. Yo, amyg, chill. Yeah. Tell your lizard brain to just take a pill. But I love the lizard brain. Beat it, Liz. Yeah. So, Allie, yes. this Allie Ward, it's just been great having you on the show. Well, it's Thank been you so much. such an honor. I can't even tell you. I can't even believe I'm here. The honor is on this side. The is honor it? is on this side. Uh, this is, you are? I am Corey S. Powell, your extraordinary science communicator. And I, <laughs> I'm Bill Nye, your everyday science communicator. And just remember, when it comes to creating a better tomorrow for all humankind, science rules. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Claire Rawlinson is the senior producer. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell, Casey Holford, and Brendan Burns. Our episode was mixed by Casey Holford. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer of Stitcher, where science rules. Stitcher. 
I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right? worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.